What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Church Planning Sucks podcast, a conversation for church planners by church planners. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This is our fifth episode. We appreciate y'all giving a new podcast and some stranger a shot. Um, we hope that the content's been helpful and practical for you. Um, we're just getting started and we have so much more to talk about because church planning is complicated and it's hard, um, but together it's easier and together we can do this thing. And so I think the more we share, the more we tell of our stories, our wins, our failures, all the things in between, I just think the better we get. And specifically in this cultural moment, when so many of the resources for church planning and the content, so much of it is pre-pandemic. And we all know that the last few years has changed everything. And of course, things are getting a little more normal and better, but it is just a different playing field than it was before, at least for us. And I, I don't think we're the only ones. And so I think a really current conversation on starting churches and those who are endeavored in this work, I think is so crucial right now because um, for so many of us, we are um, figuring this out. You know, we're the first ones to face this particular time in space. And uh, there are some big challenges that come along with it. But also there are some incredible opportunities that come along with it. And so I have a lot of hope for the future of church starters and where the church is going to go. And I think that those of us who are starting new communities, we have a large voice in what the church of Jesus is going to look like in America going forward. And um, so the work is big, but I think the spirit is moving and inviting us in to the bigness of this and the intensity and the importance of this moment in time. Um, so don't be discouraged. You are doing a hard and unique work and the slow and intentional process of growing a community and discipling people and inviting people to explore what it looks like to become apprentices of the way of Jesus has never been more important. And so we are talking about today, what does it look like to use a playbook? And then what happens when the playbook that you're running on hits some walls and the playbook is not working exactly like you thought it might. And so we found ourselves in moments like that where we had to pivot and call some audibles and say, okay, this is not working for us. This is not working for our context. So let's not just keep running this plan into the ground. Let's really dig deep and figure out what's going on and what is the way that we can connect with our neighbors in a relevant and practical and compassionate way of inviting them into the new work of a church plant. Um, so for us, we were really invested in the idea of um, launching large. Um, and if you don't know what that is, that's just simply kind of the model of building up a core team and really getting the word out about your launch service and the idea that 
hopefully out of all the resources that you put into inviting people to your launch service, that a large enough crowd shows up that as the first time visitors who aren't going to stick around as they kind of clear out, you're left with a core group of people that is now a church. And so the idea behind this, um, and of course, this is a really simplistic um, explanation of what it is, but the idea is that you would um, be as sustainable as you could be as quickly as you can get by gathering a large crowd from day one. Um, and of course, hey, that sounds good. Who doesn't want a large crowd on day one that remains and stays and thrives? So we were um, following the Launch Large playbook. We had a Launch Large coach um, who had planted a few years before us in Santa Monica. And he's a part of the Vineyard denomination, but he was also working with ARC. Um, the Association of Related Churches. And there's not really anybody who does the whole launch large model better than ARC. Um, their numbers for success are um, hard to deny. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's, let's run this way. And as we started to implement the plan, we started to realize maybe this is not the right plays to be running for our context, for who we were individually, and specifically for our city and our mission of inviting people to try church again, um, maybe for the first time in a long time, or just to try church for the first time ever. And so our whole thing was we want to create a safe space for people to explore their faith, their doubts, their questions, um, to be able to come in and let their hair down and relax um, from the first moment. And, um, that's kind of what we were working towards. And so the first thing that we did as a church was we decided to launch with a big concert, um, or at least a big concert to us. We're not talking Taylor Swift level here. Um, but we, um, booked this band called Gable Price and Friends, a cool band out of Northern California. And, um, we had just been, loving their album and it had been getting me through so much of this church planning journey. And I thought, oh, how cool would it be to have them? And so we um, started talking to them, we booked them, and all of a sudden I found myself talking to managers and um, tour managers and booking agents in Nashville. And I'd never done anything like that before. So we were really learning along the way. Um, we were definitely super green. Um, I know they were like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And they were right. Um, and so we booked this concert. And the whole idea was, let's just throw a big free event. And this will be like our, hello, hey, we exist. We're here. And we would love for you to consider being a part of this thing we're doing. So we um, throw this concert and uh, we booked this uh, local rock, punk rock venue called the 1720. And um, we had the date set and we're so stoked. Um, the only thing that really um, was an issue and made it not the success that I think maybe it could have been was when we did this, we were coming right out of the intensity of the pandemic and things were just starting to like ease. The uh, vaccination was around for quite a while. Um, but in our city, to go to an event like this, you had to show um, proof of vaccination. And um, I don't know if you remember or not, but 
the whole vaccination to save people's lives was um, super controversial, specifically within uh, the Christian church community. And um, what we found was that there was so much resistance to coming to this concert because you had to be vaccinated. And um, we found ourselves kind of in the middle of this like culture war that we really just had no desire to be a part of. Um, and we were like, oh no, Christians don't want to come to this event because um, they don't want to get vaccinated. And so we were seeing a lot of resistance from that. And right away I thought, uh oh, this might be trouble. And so we just moved forward and it ended up being a great event. It was a good crowd, um, you know, had a, way over a hundred people for our first event. And it, it was a success on some levels. Um, but as I look back at it now, I would have done it completely differently. Um, and so after the event, we started to do some po post-mortems. Um, and that might sound um, kind of dark and intense, but it's just this idea of really digging deep into an event or into something that you just did and really looking at it with an honest and open lens of being like, okay, how did this go? Was it good? Was it a success? Was it a failure? What would we have done differently? And you start to just look at it and hold it, hold it up and be like, okay, was this a good idea? And the main goal is not to like sit in the failure or to um, just make yourself feel bad if it didn't go well. But the goal of it is to learn what you can do different next time. If you're not learning from your risks and your hits and misses, um, you're wasting it. And so we really just dove in and started to look at it and be like, okay, um, it was good, but why wasn't it better? And um, spent some time with that. And some of the conclusions we came to was first, all right, cool, not a great idea to throw a concert in this moment in time um, where things were so kind of intense um, around masks and vaccinations. Um, and of course, we are all, we are pro those things. We are pro people staying alive. I'm a hospital chaplain who um, served in the ICU all throughout COVID. And so I just saw the intensity of this pandemic and this disease and the amount of death that we saw was just wild. Um, so I had a really specific um, perspective on the whole thing. Um, but I really was not interested in fighting or um, getting into arguments over masks and all of that stuff. That's not what we were trying to focus our energy on, but we kind of found ourselves in this moment. And so um, I don't know if I read um, that moment in time well, um, but we did it anyway. And so one of the things that I really landed on that I think kind of became clear as we were seeing the resistance from Christian folks to coming to an event that had those requirements was, why are we trying to attract Christians who are probably already in some sort of home church or community? Why were they our main audience? Is that the main audience of the mission and the vision of our work? And it isn't. But I found myself kind of just buying into this idea of like, okay, if we can get enough Christians in the room and I do a good enough pitch 
that there's going to be a good percentage of the people in this room that don't have a home church that will immediately just connect with us and become part of our launch team. That did not happen at all. Of course, we made some amazing connections, made some good friends out of that event. Um, but if I were to go through the list of our people now, I don't know if anybody, definitely not more than five people that are a part of our community now were at that first event or even knew we had that event. Um, and so really the reward for the risk, because we um, invested a significant amount of money into this one event, a good amount of our seed grant went towards this and it didn't have the um, success that we wanted mainly because I think I lost sight of our core mission and vision of why we were existing as a church. And now there's nothing wrong with throwing a good Christian music party, getting the Michael W. Smith on and just rocking out all together. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what we were here to do. And so as I kind of looked back at that, I think I got a little bit lost or scared to take a bigger risk. I think I was trying to be safe. And in my mind, I was convinced this is the easiest way to start a launch team. And it just wasn't. Um, and so I don't know that we would have done that again. And if we did, we would have done it way differently. I think we would have um, probably, I would have done a local concert. I would have found just local bands. We have an amazing like hardcore and punk scene here in Los Angeles and there are always bands looking for venues to play. And specifically, bands don't get paid. Local bands do not get paid. So could you imagine if we would have taken those resources, booked a bunch of local bands, um, and just created a space of like radical hospitality and just kindness and not even do a pitch, but just let people know like, hey, this is who we are and we're wanting to do cool stuff for the city. Um, and what we did was we booked a band who is from out of town, um, who really only attracted folks who were already in the Christian scene. And so I think we wasted a moment there and I would have done it so very differently. And now we've learned from that. We have absolutely shifted. And honestly, that's always been the conversation going on in my head, more of like a argument based in fear about are we trying to attract Christians, people who are already in the way of Jesus, or are we trying to attract those who are on the outside who have not felt safe or maybe engaged or for whatever reason have not found church and specifically Jesus to be a relevant, um, just an expression or something that they want to be a part of their lives. And so I think if we would have focused in on investing in our community, creating a space that was not, um, I don't want to say not Jesus centered because obviously everything we're doing is Jesus centered, but in a way that was more creative and more open for people to not feel excluded because this is a Christian or church event. Um, so we learned a lot from that. And after that, it was like, okay, that went all right. Now let's try this playbook. 
And so we started to plan interest meetings um, and they were well-planned. We pushed them hard. We invited so many people and we did multiple. And like our first one, we rented out this cool loft space and outdoor area in the arts district in our neighborhood. And we just threw a good party. We had good food. We had good drinks. Um, it was going to be rad. And so we are waiting for people to show up and, um, we have some RSVPs and we're just like, okay, they're going to come and slowly, but surely no one was coming. And then, um, two or three of our friends came just to support us. And only one person that we did not know showed up to the event. And I feel so bad for her. I know she thought she was going to walk into like a cool party, but she walked into like a room filled with only a few people and it was kind of awkward and, um, it ended up being a really good night, but I'll tell you what, after that event, I felt like a failure. I was like, oh, we're not going to work. Like this is not going to work. Um, and I was super disappointed and I was really had a hard time with it. Um, because I thought, man, this is not how it was supposed to go. Right. It's supposed to be easy. I'm following the playbook. So we kept following the playbook. We did another interest meeting and we were doing different things like meeting in, um, breweries or restaurants, or just trying to create like neutral spaces to have some interest meetings and have this moment. And we're being trained and coached to kind of pitch them. Like, do you want to join like yes or no right now? And all throughout it, so much of it just felt like sales to me and it felt greasy and weird and any contact I had with somebody, it was like, I was trying to get something from them instead of trying to serve them and just connect on a human level. I've got this other motive that's, um, floating beneath everything we're doing of trying to get them to join this thing. And what we realized was this was not working for us individually. It did not feel good to us. It did not feel natural, did not feel like the authentic thing that we were trying to do. And so what we realized was this playbook that is rad and gave us so much good information and ideas um, doesn't work for everybody and that's okay. So what we did after all those postmortems and we're like, okay, this is not working. It's not coming out the way that we hoped it would. And we're putting all these resources into something that is not giving us um, the reward on our investment. And so we, in that moment, we pivoted big time. We just said, okay, I think it's time to lean into our uniqueness and what we are about. And so that required me to just kind of start to really dig into the reason and the why. Why are we doing this? And who are we for? And so for us, we have always dreamed, at least for the last 10 years of what would it look like to have a church in the neighborhood of the art district in Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. Now, if you're not familiar with LA, we have like an amazing downtown. And on the east side of downtown is this area called the arts district. And this used to be like warehouse district and a lot of warehouses and slowly artists began to live there. And, um, this just became a place where artists lived and cool things happened. And of course, over time, as it became cool, 
it, um, big business started to move in and, um, you know, started to gentrify the area, um, which was mainly, um, warehouses. So no one was being displaced or anything like that for the most part. Um, but it had just become this really cool hip area. And in downtown LA, there is a huge spectrum of, um, incomes and culture. You have the lofts and the expensive apartments that, um, cost an arm and a leg to live there as you have these like professionals that are living there. And at the same time, you have some of the most epic poverty and folks who are experiencing the housing crisis in an acute way. Um, they are experiencing homelessness and housing is a huge issue here in LA. And so our dream was, what does it look like to be a church for both these neighborhoods that live side by side, that interact all the time, but don't understand each other at all. And so we thought, what does it look like to have a church for both of these communities where people can come together in mutual understanding and respect, and that we would unite around the cause of loving Jesus and loving our neighbor. And so for us, as we realized, wait a minute, we are here to do something different. We're not trying to attract the folks who are already in the church. We were here to exist for those who are on the outside. Um, uh, there's a quote that I think it's attributed to a few saints, but just the idea of this saint saying that she would be called a saint of darkness because she would be on the outside of the gates of heaven, showing the way to those on the outside, how to come in. And so we always thought we wanted to be a church of darkness. Um, and that sounds insane, but just the idea that um, we would not be a people that stayed insulated in the walls of our church, but we would be a people who engaged and loved and worked to understand and um, collaborate for the betterment of our city. And so we knew right away that we had been doing it wrong. So what we did is we just had this idea that we needed to have a heart of service for our city and for our neighbors way before we ever considered having a Sunday service. So we kind of dove headfirst into mutual aid. And if you don't know what mutual aid is, um, it's just this idea um, as Dean Spade has this amazing little book just called mutual aid. You can get it about anywhere. And I think every church planner and really anybody who is invested in the well-being of their neighbors should read this book. But Dean Spade defines mutual aid as the radical act of caring for each other while working to change the world. Um, goes on to say around the globe, people are faced with a spiraling succession of crises from COVID-19, the pandemic, climate change induced fires and storms, floods, to the ongoing horrors of mass incarceration, racist policing, brutal immigration enforcement, endemic gender and violence, and severe wealth inequality. And they say, as governments fail to respond to each crisis, ordinary people are finding bold and innovative ways to share resources 
and to support the vulnerable. Survival work done alongside social movements so that society would be transformed through neighbors coming together, sharing resources to help those who have a need. And this is so much different than just outreach or charity. This is not the idea of the Savior coming in, that being us, and saying, hey, we're going to give you food or we're going to fix this problem. But it is going in with a posture of mutuality and respect that says, hey, we are with you. And we reject the dividing walls that culture is trying to place between us through the rhetoric and fear of those who are just struggling to survive. The thing that I've learned throughout years of working professionally with those who are experiencing houselessness and extreme poverty is that most of us are only a few checks or relationships away from being where these folks have found themselves living on the streets fighting to survive, fighting for basic, basic essentials. And so, you know, most of us live check to check. And, you know, if you're lucky, you have some family and friends that are out there that if something went wrong, you could reach out and they would help you. But so many of us in culture don't have that, don't have those family connections, don't have something to fall back on. And so if a job ends or an illness comes or some sort of other emergency, it is so very easy for folks to fall through the cracks into houselessness and extreme poverty. And so we knew right away that we had been focusing on the wrong audience. And so what we started to do was just partner with local grassroots mutual aid organizations. And these were grassroots, like people just like us starting new works for the good of the city. And so we partnered with multiple organizations to begin to do our Sunday mutual aid project. And for us, we started doing it once a month, and that's still what we do at LA Church. Our hope is that we'll grow to more. Um, but what we simply did was just begin going out to this specific corner in Skid Row and would set up a table, would set up a tent, and we would have good food. We would have essentials for um, hygiene and health. We would have clothes. Um, and we would always try to do something to make it as just a little different and special. So whether that was just like making sure we got the good glass bottle drinks or something we created, we called the, the Skid Row Latte, which is just when we go out and brew like big old coffee things, we get all the options for flavored creamers and we get whipped cream and we just make a simple cup of coffee a little bit more fun. And so it's just simple things like that because we don't have a ton of resources, but we thought, what can we do that will make our neighbor's day just a little bit better, maybe just a little bit less lonely? And so we begin to do that. And so instead of doing interest meetings and events, um, what we began to do was ask people to RSVP for our service that was coming for our launch but we also invited them to engage in our mutual aid. And this became the way that we begin to connect with people. And people are so much more open to serving their neighbors than they are to just walk into 
a church service, especially those who maybe do not identify with any sort of faith tradition or belief or are somewhere in between. Um, helping others is just at the heart of being a good human and a good neighbor. And everybody understands that. So we just begin to invite people in and say, hey, we are doing mutual aid work. We would love for you to come and be a part of this. Help us lead this thing. And that's how we kind of gathered our launch team. Our core team was around this idea of mutual aid and caring for our neighbor. And it really connected with folks, especially the idea that we would start with service and not a Sunday service. And I think it kind of rooted us into the heart of Jesus and what his gospel is about. And so that was a huge win for us going forward. And that just really wasn't in the playbook. And that ended up being amazing for us because it was rooted in our mission and our vision and who we were. And we felt good about it. We weren't trying to sell people into joining some new, you know, cult or something. That's what it felt like. And now we're just inviting people to serve our neighbors because everyone sees the pain and the hurt around us. And now California and LA, we get a ton of hate on Fox News and other places. But if we're all honest, this kind of poverty is everywhere. Um, I lived in Knoxville for a long time in Tennessee and in the poverty there, like they have their own mini skid row right next to their rescue mission where I used to work. And we're seeing this kind of poverty in these tent cities growing in every single city and neighborhood all around our country. So wherever you're at, people know that there's a crisis. And I guarantee you that so many of those people that you're connecting with, they are also in crisis, but there's something about embracing the posture of service, even when yourself is in need to give of your time and your resources to those who are struggling. I think that's so beautiful. And so we've saw so many amazing connections and friendships grow. And that's one of the best things we did was throwing out the playbook and embracing this new idea of we're going to do this how we feel like is the most true thing to us and what God was calling us to. And so it worked for us. Now, we're not saying don't do interest meetings, don't do parties, don't do concerts. We're not saying that. Of course, do whatever you feel is right. But the main thing I want you to know is don't feel trapped to your plan. Do not feel trapped in the playbook. Um, right now I'm watching through, um, uh, winning time, the HBO show about the Lakers and magic Johnson. And, um, right now the coach is so locked into his system and how it is supposed to play out. And he's so locked in and a little bit rigid. Um, and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out if magic Johnson starts embracing the system and it works out. I don't know, but there's this moment where there's an argument between the coach and the assistant coach, Pat Riley, and he's yelling at him because he's like, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to move when you need to move. And, um, so sometimes we can get so focused on the playbook or our plan or our system that even when it's not working, that we still just keep running it over and over again. And maybe there'll be a breakthrough, but for us, we knew that we needed to 
really pivot in a different direction. So don't feel trapped. Um, and my main um, critique of the playbook is, you know, I think we need some weirdness. I think we need some diversity. I think we need to break out of the box a little bit. Um, it's okay to be different. It's okay to look different and be weird. We already talked about that. Embrace your authentic self, your unhidden self, and let that be shown in the kind of events and content that you're creating. Um, so don't feel trapped. You are free in this work. We are in a new cultural moment and we're all trying to figure it out. So it's okay to take risks, but when you take risks, Make sure they're calculated. Make sure you're thinking through and make sure you are giving it the process of going through the postmortem of what did we do wrong? What can we do better? And ask for feedback. That's one of the biggest things that I have learned is don't be afraid of criticism. Don't be afraid of feedback. Seek it out. Make sure there are clear ways for people to offer you feedback. People want to share their thoughts. Oftentimes they're just scared. And the only people you do hear from are the ones who are really angry. But find out what people are experiencing when they're interacting with this new work or whatever event or thing you may be doing. You're going to learn so much from your people because they're going to have a set of fresh eyes that you may not have. And I still do this a year into meeting every Sunday for Sunday service. I'm always asking people, hey, how is this for you? What do you think? Is there anything we could do different? Is there anything that you don't love, like anything we're saying or doing? And I'm always so open for those conversations. So lean into that. It's okay to put the playbook down. Let it inform you, but do not let it trap you. Um, so this was that. Um, no hate to anyone's playbook. It really does work for so many people and it could work for you but i think that there is a piece of yourself that needs to be shown and seen in your plan and in your playbook um, so don't ignore that it's okay to be you and to not look like every other church on instagram or every other church on the corner of each you know every few blocks be different the church needs to be different so that we can begin to connect with those who feel different, who feel on the outside, who do not relate to the Christian culture um, and the pop culture that surrounds the church for a lot of folks that is not attractive. Um, and of course, I'm a church nerd. I love all that stuff. But I also recognize that this is not about me. It's not about us who are already in and sitting at the table. It's about those who are on the outside. So wherever you are, may your heart and your posture lean towards those who are on the outside, so desperately waiting for an invitation to come and be loved, a place to belong, and to know that they're safe. And so, yeah. We got this. There is so much hope for the future of the church. We're so glad you joined us for our fifth episode. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot us a DM on our Instagram, or you can email us at churchplanningsucks at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear from you if you are leading a new worshiping community, a new innovative work, 
Um, we'd love to hear about it. How's it going for you? What are you learning? What are you seeing success in? What are you seeing isn't working at all? We would love to hear about it. So tell us about it and um, let's have a conversation. Um, but thank you so much for hanging with us. Feel free to go and subscribe and leave a review. Let people know how awesome church planning sucks is. Um, no, but really, if this has been helpful, we would love to get the word out and just invite more people into the conversation um, around the incredible work of church starting. Um, know that you are loved, that you're good, that you are doing good work, that you're not alone in this. So be encouraged. Know that there are so many people out there that are holding you in prayer and that Jesus is holding you too, and you are not alone. And God's so proud of you, he's so pleased with you. Even in our failures, I just feel like God is just rejoicing over us in this work. So there's no bad news, it's all good news, it's gonna be okay, and you're gonna make it. So blessings to y'all, we will see you for our next episode, um, and uh, yeah, be well, peace.